So um, we are at the end of our inaugural, I think I used that word right, series on uh, vision and mission. So our second year in a row with this new vision that we've been living with for almost three years, this vision of, of wanting to become this place uh, to belong and a place to know God. So that's where, we, that's where we want to go as a church, to be a place where both of those things can and do happen. And then also um, our mission, which is how we want to get there, and that's why our, our series has been called Where We're Going and How We Get There, our mission, uh, becoming followers of Jesus who recover their lives, reimagine their purpose, and refresh their world. And so uh, this morning will be the end of this series um, as we talk about this idea of refreshment, um, this idea of being a people, being a person who can bring refreshment to the world around us. I think that's something we all want both to experience. We want to experience being refreshed, and we also want to be able to be a, a refreshment to other people. And so we're going to immerse ourselves in this gospel text to see if we can find some of the shape and the color of what it looks like to be the kind of person that brings refreshment. Um, have, you ever, have you ever met or, or been around somebody that you just feel refreshed by being around them? Like more often than not, you leave a time with that person and that could be a way you would describe it, that you just felt a sense of refreshment being with them. can imagine what that's like in your mind. What's probably easier to imagine though is the type of relationships and environments you're in um, where maybe it's not refreshing, where maybe um, there's somebody you really care about, but that every time you're with that person, their eyes never seem to find yours. They're always looking around. They're looking at their phone. They're looking at their watch. They're looking off into the distance that, that they never seem to be actually with you, even though they're there in front of you. I'd say in our culture, more of us probably would fit into that category. We're a, we're a distracted people. And, and I want you to think about the feelings that you feel when you're, when you're with that type of person. One of the things, uh, I, had, I have a friend, and, and I, I used to joke, I don't do it anymore, even though it's still true, um, that, he, that he has restless leg syndrome. <laughs> That's like a real thing. I saw a commercial for a drug for it. Um, but uh, he doesn't actually have restless leg syndrome. It's just like, he just seems like he always is about to leave. Like, even though he's there in front of you, it's like at any second, he will be gone. And so it never really feels like he's actually there with you. And it feels really lonely trying to have a relationship like that. And when we look at this passage where Jesus um, is navigating some very difficult situations. I think that he's offering us a glimpse into a way to live life that can bring refreshment to the people around us, even though, even though sometimes 
it's not what we would want. So let's, let's take a look at some of these first verses here. If you could meet me uh, back in uh, verse 4 in chapter 11, and it says this, when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then if you read on into verse seven, it says, and then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea, which is the area um, that Lazarus and his sisters were. So (laughs) in the book of John, the way, we get a lot of, of Jesus's words. In some of the other books, we get, we get a lot more of his actions. And, and John gives us lots of these long sort of monologues of Jesus. And so we get to hear more of the things that he's thinking and, and um, praying about. And in, this, in these verses here, he says, uh, this sickness will not end in death. And, um, but it does, <laughs> like Lazarus dies. And, and later in, in this passage part where we skipped, he's talking to the disciples and he's using these euphemisms. He's saying like, you know, uh, Lazarus fell asleep and the disciples are like, well, just leave, just let him alone. Like if he's sleeping, it'll help him feel better and he'll wake up and he'll be fine. And he's like, all right, look, Lazarus is dead. All right. It even says in the text, like he spoke plainly, Lazarus is dead. I, I mean, this would be great, right? If we could just kind of like talk like this and then it, then it would sort of materialize like, this financial decision will not lead to a bad credit score. You know, like this, this 10th time I was late to work will not lead to a write-up, right? And it just, it just kind of happens, right? It's like, this is, not, this is not actually like the situation with my kids losing their minds here in public. It's just, you just think that's what it is. Right? That, that would be so great if, 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 it, if it worked like that for us, um, but it doesn't. So why does he say this? Why does he say this doesn't, le- this doesn't lead to death? And I think, it's because, I think it's because Jesus has this perspective about death. It's not that death isn't a part of the story. It's not a part of the scenario or the equation. It's just not the end of the story, of the equation. It's just not where we are led to ultimately, but it's, it's a stop on the way. It's an important stop and it's a scary stop, but it's simply a stop on the way. And so we see in this passage, Jesus responding to life He's responding to what's happening around him, but he's not reacting. He's not simply reacting. So when he hears about the news of Lazarus, he doesn't immediately stop what he's doing and jump up and just react and and just say like, oh my gosh, I got to fix this. I got to save this. I got to do this right now. Instead, we see a response from somebody who is able to embrace, strangely enough, limitations that can you imagine this time where Jesus was on earth, that he was surrounded by things that were not right. He was surrounded by things that needed a touch from him everywhere. 
Who had more of an excuse not to be present, to have restless leg syndrome than Jesus in his ministry on earth? Who had more of the prerogative to say, I'm sorry, I know what you're saying is important, but I have to go over here because somebody needs me to heal them or they'll die. And yet, strangely enough, the text even alludes to this, It says he loved them, and so, and so he stayed two days more. And so here we see a person, a man, fully human and fully divine, and he still is living with an exception, uh, an accepting of limitations, How many of us, that's all we need to think about this morning, is just living with our limits. Just not trying to fix everything and everybody around us, but just being where we are. It's really interesting what he says and how he says this because he says that the glory of God will be seen through this. It is for God's glory that the that. God's son may be glorified through it. And I, 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 think, about, I think about myself, I think about um, this mentality I had in my younger 20s where uh, I was in this uh, situation, I, I was invited over to a friend's house, an old friend from high school, it was Sunday afternoon, um, I was sitting in a recliner and we were watching football on TV and um, drinking Bud Light, right? And uh, there was a conversation going on, and then all of a sudden I heard my name, and this guy, Josh, he said, Jamin's not having fun. He's dreaming about how he could be out saving the world right now. And I actually was. Like, that's what I was doing. I was like, man, I'm sitting here just doing this stupid American thing, drinking Bud Light, watching football in a recliner. People are dying, (laughs) right? And what could I do about that at that moment? Absolutely nothing. The only thing I needed to do was sit down, listen to bad fart jokes, watch football, and drink my Bud Light. But I couldn't do that because I did not have the presence of mind to be where I was to accept that I'm one human in a big old world. (laughs) It's funny that Jesus operates the same way. It's funny, you know, because some people are hearing this and they're like, yep, that's right. That's why I don't get out. That's why I don't do anything. That's why I don't go here or there because I'm just accepting my limitations, right? No, that is not what I'm saying because Jesus was in the middle of doing something before he finished that thing. Then he moved to another thing. So if you're thinking that right now, like, oh, there's my divine justification for all these walls I've built up, cocooning myself into my nice little snug life. Jesus did it too. No, no, he did not. And then, and then there's people there, they're, um, they're always around, but that's kind of all they are. They're just around. They're, they're, they're there. They're, they're, they're physically always there. They don't have to get to where you are. They're always sort of in your life, but they don't really bring any refreshment to your life. Maybe, maybe you can relate to that. Maybe, maybe you feel like you are that kind of person. You're always kind of standing around. You're always kind of there, but 
you don't know what to do or how to do it or how to interact with anybody around you. And so you can't find yourself being a refreshing presence. There's another passage really close to this one where Jesus uses a similar phrase where there's a need in front of him and the disciples. And he talks about this idea of the glory of God being a part of how he's responding and not reacting to the situation. Reactions are knee-jerk. You feel something, and immediately you take action before you think about it, before you contemplate it, before you have in advance thought about this situation and what it would be like when it came up. You've, you've um, let that thing wash over you because you've organized your life around your limitations. So even though people are dying, you still take time to live within your limitations and get rest and find refreshment and you do these things. And so Jesus is responding to this situation. It's in John chapter nine, a few chapters back. And let's see what happens here. It says in verse one, As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus said, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. So, you can't be everywhere and help everybody all the time. But you are somewhere all the time. And in the places that you are, you can be of help sometimes. And in this example where we see Jesus um, encountering this blind man, the disciples in here in the same place, but they see two totally different situations. The disciples see the situation as an opportunity simply to ponder who, who's messed up here? Whose fault is this? Why is this person in this situation? And Jesus's response, he doesn't answer the problem of why. He, does, he never gives us this answer of why are all these bad things happening to, to good people? He simply says that you are in a position to show the glory of God when you are present in a situation like this. And so many people were there in front of this blind man and had been, but it was only Jesus who had the presence to see the blind man, ironically enough. That nobody saw him, but they simply saw other things about him. They were living in their imagination somewhere else about this person. And so the first thing that we see about a refreshing person here with Jesus is that he's a person who lives with limitations and that allows him to be present where he is. Man, if I could learn that lesson, if we could learn that lesson as a church, and some of you have, some of you are incredibly present and grounded people. But if we could learn how to be present, to accept that we can't be everywhere, we can't be 10 minutes in the past and two days in the future, we can just be where we are and we have an opportunity to respond to what's in front of us. 
that, that would create the opportunity for a refreshing person and environment. Now, here's the thing. We've talked about this some when we've talked about some of this contemplation and things like that, is once you have discovered through help how to be present, how to live with limits, then something starts to well up inside of you. Feelings. That's why we don't want to be present. Because once we stop and we actually live where we are, not in the past of what should have, could have happened this other way, and then the present would be good, then we start to feel things. And so for most of us, what we've been taught, not necessarily by someone saying the words to us, but by how people lived life around us, is that the reason why you can't be present is because you have to be able to run away from these feelings that you have. Let's look in the text and see how Jesus responds to this situation. Because what happens is he stays two more days and then they walk to Judea. And then on the way into the village of Bethany where Lazarus has died, Martha runs out to meet him. And when she gets there, Lazarus has already been dead for four days. So let's pick up there in verse 32. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit. And troubled, where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. See, I think our culture in general greatly underestimates the power of feelings, the power of grief. And, and we look at this text, I've heard, I've heard people muse and pastors and people muse that over time, like, wow, you know, this, Jesus wept, oh, it's so deep, like, Jesus cried, he wept. I can't imagine that there weren't many times that Jesus wept, that he was fully embraced in his humanity. So, so. A couple of days ago, he's over there saying like, hey, the glory of God's gonna be shown through this. Lazarus is asleep, these kind of things. But then when he gets there, when he's physically present in the place where this is going on, his response is deeply emotional. And this is part of the profile of a refreshing person. When I think about some of the times in tragedy where I've, I've felt the least lonely is not the times when somebody tried to skip over to the end and say, hey, it's all going to be good. They're going to be with us in heaven, the resurrection, all these types of things. But it was the people who could grieve the loss with me. That was refreshing to me. It, it, it gave me life. But there's, there's also been times where, 
where, where I've said, not just to God, but other people, if you had just been there, God, if it had just been like this, then things would have turned out differently. And the difference between a person who has moved into a space where they can be a refreshing presence is not that they never say those things, but it's just not where they live. A refreshing person can live in the present and not the past. See, if you're, if you're living in the past, you're always repeating this line that Martha said to Jesus, which is an important, courageous thing that she did there, but she stays stuck there. If it had just been like this in my past, then my present would look different. And so it begins to be almost impossible to do the very thing that Jesus is trying to guide us into and lead us into doing, which is to imagine and hope about a future that is filled with resurrection. And so many of us, we stay stuck. We say that my parents hurt me or my adult children hurt me or or um, my peers, they hurt me and they did these things to me, but they just live there and they never themselves take the sadness and the grief on. They're just living and putting the past onto everyone and everything else around them because they're so scared of the grief, scared that if they go there, if they truly grieve and allow themselves to feel deeply like Jesus did, that they'll get stuck there, that they can't come out, that it's a bottomless pit. And so we run away from our feelings, and so we can't be present, so we can't live according to the limits of a human being. Interesting that the man who was fully divine who could literally make resurrection and in fact calls himself the resurrection and the life, grieved. See, what happens is when you grieve deeply, something that can't be explained with words, it can't be taught, you can't ask enough questions about it to not have to go through it yourself. What happens is space opens up inside of you is that something refreshing happens when you are able to grieve the things that didn't go the way you wanted them to or the ways that you were truly hurt or taken advantage of. Things that are unjust and unfair and not right that happened to you. In my marriage, Becky and I, we, for the first several years of marriage, when sometimes we'd get into arguments and it would turn into um, a failure to grieve match of, well, you know, I really wanted to be overseas and working over here. And well, I really wanted to be in the city, inner city over here. I really wanted to live uh, in this part of the country or I really wanted to live over here. And since I'm stuck with you, I can't do those things. And, and, and we would try to make each other wear our sadness. And one day somebody taught us how to start grieving those things. And all of a sudden space started opening up in our relationship. Space 
for resurrection, space for new life, space for something that could grow that wasn't what we hoped for in the past, but because our past had been grieved, we could then hope for something that we never could have before the grief. We could hope for something called resurrection, called life. That's what Jesus had said earlier to Martha. He said this in verse 25. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? You don't have to really believe in God or Jesus or much of anything to hold in your mind an idea that you'll go to heaven or the good place when you die. There's lots of people that vague, give vague notions to God and things like that, that hold that space in their mind. And guess what they use it for? To run away from their grief, their feelings of sadness, their feelings of the limits that life has for them. But it's amazing the embodiment of life, Jesus grieved deeply. To me, that tells me something. That tells me that that is an essential part of the human experience that leads to life, that leads to more life, is going through the valley of the shadow of death. That death might not be the final destination, but it is a stop, an unavoidable stop on the way. And I mean that both metaphorically and literally. There are things dying in your life right now. Will you run away from it or will you grieve it and make room, make room for resurrection? So in, um, in the following verses, verse 43, we see after, after Jesus grieves, he says this. In verse 43, it said, when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to him, take off the grave clothes and let him go. This is, this is the path. Um, this is what it looks like. It's interesting that when Jesus got there, it, 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 Lazarus has been dead for four days because the Jewish belief system at the time was that the spirit would hover uh, around the body for the first three days. And this was also connected to the fact that at the time in medicine, it was difficult to tell the difference between a person who was comatose and dead. And so um, many times the grave would be checked on for the first three days for the fear that they had buried someone still alive. That's what a lot of us have actually tried to do with our hurts in life. They're still alive. We just try to bury them, forget about them. But Jesus made sure Lazarus was dead, dead. They said, if you roll that stone away right now, it's gonna smell. That's how dead Lazarus was. It's gonna smell. It's past the point of no return. And that is the place of grief 
that we have to be able to get to to be a refreshing person. We have to be able to grieve and trust God enough to know that if we go there, he won't leave us there. That when you are in that deepest of moments of grief over the things that are wrong in this world, the ways you have been wrong, the ways you have lost things that were good, you can find that you'll look up and you can, at some point, the point where you've looked up a thousand times and not seen anything, you finally see a sliver of light. And you find yourself pulling away bandages you find yourself being let loose. And so a refreshing person is someone who is able to find and live in their limitations so that they can be present where they are. And that when they are, they can allow themselves to feel the pain of this world, of this life, of death. They can grieve the death. And then the space begins to open up. And life and resurrection begin to peek through. This is refreshment. This is a refreshing thing. It's not to ignore the limits of the world. It's to live deeply within them as the perfect man did. Um, there's a quote in your bulletin, Erwin McManus uh, talks about it in this way. He says, uh, beyond despair, there must always be hope. Beyond betrayal, there must be a story of forgiveness. Beyond failure, there must be a story of resilience. If the story ended at the cross, it might be a story worth telling, but that story could never give life. Only the resurrection makes the crucifixion what it is for all of us who are marked by the cross. So to be a refreshing people, we want to lean into and learn how to grieve the death, the deaths in our life, so that we can speak the life that comes out of that. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, I, I thank you for this time where we get to see and practice um, this idea of refreshment as you've invited us to the table where we can take into ourselves the resurrection and the life, the, the bread and the wine, reminding us of who you are and who you are to us, that you sustain us that you bring refreshment in life to us by your own death and resurrection. Amen.